The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic, Dynamic pet, pet Duo. So Easter and Passover, greetings from all of us here at the Pet Buzz Studios. We hope you are enjoying the holiday with your Easter bonnets and your Easter baskets. You know, this week I had to get my rugs cleaned. So seven rugs, $250. It really, it's all because of Ty. He's 14 years old. He's having issues. He drinks an insatiable amount of water. And then soon after he urinates. So if I'm home, I have to issue him out the back door or even the front door at times. He makes it outside most of the times, but he also has dementia. So he gets a little confused sometimes. So here I am shepherding him around. You know, it's one of those things. He's like, he's peed almost everywhere except for my bedroom. He knows when it's supper time, though. He does. So I guess uh, my challenge on a week to week basis, or especially this week, is to come up with a solution to kind of confine him to deal with his health problem. And of course, there are diapers and there's crates and there's medication and et cetera, et cetera, and pee pads. I just have to figure out the best course of action, where to put him when I'm not home. I mean, I can lock him up in the cage, but I mean, I think maybe doggy diapers might be the best solution for him. Possibly. And, yeah. and, and for all those diagnosticians out there that we've done a lot of work on trying to diagnose what it is, most of this has to do with aging, maybe a little bit of marginal diabetes, which makes sense. But um, we're cooking along. Yeah, cooking we're along. cooking along. OK, so let's start out with the weekly countdown. My problems are my problems. I'll figure them out. We'll talk about them next week. OK, in segment four. We're talking with Dr. Grace Edmonds, clinical veterinary research fellow at Bristol Veterinary School about a dog's body size and shape and how that could indicate a greater bone tumor risk. Three in seg three, Janet Ruiz, the Insurance Information Institute, triple I, director of strategic communication, discusses canine liability insurance. And two here in the pet buzz, I dish about celebrities and their pets like President Biden, Queen Elizabeth, and Rebel Wilson and company. And in Flex Facts, I talk about Easter dangers. And in segment one, did your dog breed win this year's popularity contest? Well, I'm going to find out from our next guest. Our next guest is the Vice President of Public Relations and Communications at the AKC or the American Kennel Club. We were really pleased to welcome Brandy Hunter to the Pet Bus. Hello, Brandy. Welcome. Hi there. How are you? I always love it when Brandy comes. I know. She's always such a happy person. <laughs> great Thank class. you. Okay. So, Brandy, first question. Why does the American Kennel Club create the most popular breed list each year? Well, it's a twofold question. So, one, we actually want people to know what breeds are popular, right? It introduces people to some breeds they may not have even thought about. But also, we want to let people know, you know, what's out there. A lot of times, people just get stuck on the popular in the top 10, which we absolutely love. But there are some breeds that are in the middle that are pretty interesting. And sometimes people always want to know what's at the bottom, which is a rare question we get asked. But we get a lot of people asking about rare breeds. So it kind of gives people a scope of everything that's out there, even if they weren't necessarily paying attention. Oh. <laughs> so so how many breeds are there on the list? 
There are 197. We are going towards 200. We're excited. Thank God cool. I'm not back in veterinary college. I know. <laughs> I know. There, there's plenty more to memorize. Okay, so I guess you could say like clothing styles and baby names. The other day I was driving down the car and I listened to one of the radio guys saying that Sage is one of the most popular baby names. Yeah, mm. so I've yeah. heard. <laughs> right. So I guess like baby names and clothing styles, do dog breeds go in and out of style? And what could be one of the influencers of the popularity of dog breeds? Some are more trendy. Like we see the Corgi. The Corgi is a contender for the top 10. It's not in the top 10 right now, but it's definitely coming. And the Frenchie, which has shot up the charts in ways we didn't even imagine. And some of those factors are really from like celebrities being seen with them, social media accounts, TikTok, Instagram. Those are huge influencers on dog ownership. Think about 101 Dalmatians and how the Dalmatian became so popular. <laughs> we have people asking about breeds because of Game of Thrones or because they saw the Wells Fargo commercial with a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And we're like, where did you see that? And they're like, oh, I was watching this commercial. What kind of dog is this? Really? The Rhodesian Ridgeback in a Wells Fargo commercial? Have you? Yeah, seen there that? is one with a, I think it's with a Pomeranian. And they're like best friends. Yeah. And then wait, what did she say? What dog is in Game of Thrones? Well, it was a dire wolves, but people wanted to get huskies because they thought they looked like dire wolves, which was not necessarily the best idea, because if you don't know life with a husky, you know, you have to be prepared for that ownership. You have to be prepared for the shedding and the blowing of the coat and the energy level and all of those things that people went up the crate, chewing their way out of a crate. Look, if you don't listen to the sporting event, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well. (laughs) I know it's sad. Okay, so you had a question, Doctor Fleck. I get to talk. You do. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Holy smokes! Okay, I see a lot of pets every day. I see a lot of puppies every day. I'll probably see a couple of new Frenchies today. But give us a rundown on the most popular breeds of dogs, and any significant movement with dogs that are in the middle or the bottom of the AKC's most popular dog breed list. So the top five are the Bulldog, then you have the Golden Retriever, you have the German Shepherd Dog, French Bulldog, and the Labrador for the 30th year in a row is number one. It's hard to beat those labs. They they stay at the top. But what we've really seen has been interesting is a breed that we recognized recently, the Dogo Argentino. So that one's in at 93, and it hasn't even really spent, you know, a full five years in recognition And it's very cool to witness because you could tell they had a cult following. They were very excited when they got recognized. It's a wonderful breed, but also corgis. Corgis stay in that top 20. People love that dog. It goes up and down. People love it. Poodles always stay, you know, pretty in there. The Barbet is at 145. And it's a very interesting breed because a lot of people don't know what a Barbet looks like. So the fact that it's creeping up there, it came in in the 190s for sure. And it's been creeping on up there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. It's one of my favorite breeds. You know how much money you could gain by taking all the tests for the veterinary students with this particular class? <laughs> for I don't know. I, I, I always say one day, maybe I'll, I'll fulfill the dream of being a dog show judge just at least one time, because I think that that's one of the coolest uh, things I've learned. It, uh, it is, but still, really. I don't. Uh, I yeah, always uh, marvel at what they keep in their head. I'm like, I'm just trying to keep the dog straight. You actually know how they move and what well, they're supposed to. I had a question. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, so many people got dogs during the, you know, especially purebred dogs. I mean, people adopted them from shelters, but a lot of people got purebred dogs during the pandemic. So, 
one of the things that people always ask is, why should purebred dog owners register their dogs with the American Kennel Club? People ask me, where do I get a pet? Right now, everybody's become a backyard breeder. People are coming in and buying pets for $2,000 for a crossbreed or something that they make up. Mm-hmm. And so what I always say is that people that are, I, I'm, I'm more convinced that people that register as an AKC breed, that they're more concerned about the breed and they'll be healthier. Registering with the AKC is a good way to make sure that you are getting a healthy dog, knowing where your dog comes from. Breeders that register their litters with the AKC are big on health testing. They focus on their lines. So we have the largest purebred dog registry in the world. And there's several things you can do. It's everything from DNA testing to knowing where your line comes from. If you had a particular dog from a particular breeder or a particular line, we're the place to find it. You can know the history of your dog and you can even research your breeder if you want to. So that's one of the reasons to register with the AKC. Isn't that awesome? That's totally awesome. And so important for us as veterinarians in making recommendations about where do you get your pet? People come and ask us that all the time. So we always encourage people to look through the AKC. Absolutely. And we're the only private registry that does inspections as well. So it's not just breeders just signing up and you don't know who it is. We actually go around. We have wonderful inspectors that travel the country that inspect the care and conditions of the dogs. So you are dealing with people who genuinely care about where your dog comes from, your dog's health and having a happy and healthy life with your dog. That information is so important, especially today. Thank you so much for having me. So for more information uh, about where your dog breed is on the list and for more information about purebred dogs in general, visit akc.org. Up next, Celebrity Pet Buzz and, of course, Flex Facts. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tever Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Tever Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tever Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. 
Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Now let's kick off uh, segment two with celebrity pet news. You know, the Biden family dogs, Major and Sheriff, they're back in the White House. Have you heard that, Dr. Yes. Black, after that incident, which Major supposedly called a minor injury to an undisclosed person? They say it's a Secret Service agent. But anyway, in an interview earlier in the month with George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America, the president, that's President Biden, said Major did not bite someone and penetrate the skin, <laughs> elaborating that his dog was a rescue pup and his getting acclimated to his new home. And, I, and and we can all understand that. But, you know, rumor has that the dog bit somebody. Biden reiterated the dog's visit home to Delaware because everyone thought they were kicked out of the White House after they bit the Secret Service agent. He said the Delaware trip was pre-planned. It had nothing to do with the incident. He also noted that Major was being trained in Delaware, which we said was a good thing. We figured he'd be, you know. So let's talk about the new gossip across the pond. So it seems that Queen Elizabeth has gotten two new dogs. She got them a few weeks ago and she named her dogs after her uncle in one of her favorite places. So her new dorgie, that's a dachshund mix with a corgi, is a right. Like I said, she named the dog Fergus after her uncle, Fergus Bose Lion. Bose Lion was a soldier in World War One who was killed in uh, in the Battle of Lowe. In 1915. So the second dog, which she purchased for about 2,650 pounds. So you figure 1.75 to pound to the dollar. uh, She got from a breeder off the uh, Pets for Home website. Now, this is all speculation. People don't know for sure. And that dog was originally named Charlie, but she renamed the dog Mick, and that's spelled M-U-I-C-K. It's an unusual name, but it comes from one of the Queen's favorite places, Lock Mick at Balmoral Castle. Both are said to bring a lot of energy and noise into the house since Prince Philip is now home. He's recovering. And of course, all of the crazy uh, backlash of the interview with Harry and Meghan and uh, via Oprah. So we are so happy for the queen that she's got back. She, You know, dogs bring so much joy to someone's life. She needs the joy. She deserves the joy. She deserves it, really. And what's really interesting about these two dogs is these two dogs are the first dogs. They're not a descendant. From the dog Susan, the corgi she received on her 18th birthday. That was back in 1944. Okay, lastly, there's a new ABC show starting this weekend. It's called Pooch Perfect. It's a dog grooming competition show. Each episode of the eight-episode series features the country's best groomers and their assistants taking part in, get this, an immunity opportunity challenge where one grooming earns immunity from elimination. After the first challenge, the non-winning Teams must compete in the ultimate challenge showdown. I love all these competition shows. Mm -hmm. You've got that one on Amazon. Now you've got this one. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in the showdown, the show's talented contestants are tasked with transforming a dog's fur into something epic. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of color in there. And the team that falls short is sent home by the judges. And everyone is competing for a giant cash prize. I like to see that. I want to know what the cash prize is. And the pooch perfect crozy, of course. I wonder if they're going to do some creative grooming, too. Wasn't that kind of interesting yeah, when we doing, saw that? They're doing the creative. Doing all that, too. OK, now what everyone's been waiting for. 
This is where you're on, Dr. Fleck. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's going to take long. You got the time. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we are going to talk about Easter dangers. Easter dangers for our pets, right? For our pets, absolutely. As many families prepare to celebrate Easter this weekend, it's important to keep in mind that this spring holiday may pose potential hazards. Okay, so let's talk about... For our friends. Let's talk about the biggest hazard. Chocolate. Chocolate. Mm, something I love. Somebody just asked me about chocolate earlier today, too. It was me because I got you an Easter bunny. Oh, it was you. That's who it was. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, the ASPCA Poison Control Center receives several calls each day regarding pets eating chocolate. But most of those exposures occur around four holidays, Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's Day and Easter. Mm-hmm. Chocolate can cause GI upsets, pancreatitis stimulation to the nervous system that would be like your hyperactivity hyperesthetic sort of activity seizures can happen and the elevation of the heart rate so not all chocolate is created equally remember that too the darker chocolate is a lot more dangerous for the pet other ingredients to keep uh, out of your pet's reach includes the xylitol that's a sugar replacement and sugar-free candies placed in Easter baskets. Because a lot baskets. of these moms, they don't want their kids jacked up on sugar. They give them sugar-free candy. Think about this, too. Having pancakes in the morning, if, if they lick, if the dog licks your pancakes at all, which you don't eat, mm-hmm. make sure that it's not sugar-free pancake syrup. Uh, and that's true, because I'm a diabetic, and I have sugar-free pancakes. Absolutely. Syrup. The other thing that I think it's important to mention, because, you know, we now have all of these uh, dispensaries mm-hmm. and some of them sell the CBD, the CBD and the THC chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you could leave a chocolate bar around and well, your pet could. Well, we know, live. They're not supposed to sell THC chocolate while well, they sell it here. I okay. All right. OK, so what else? What else is uh, what else is a danger? Plastic Easter grass. Yeah, that's a big one. Pets cannot absorb plastic Easter grass into their bodies. Remember that, which means that it can become lodged in the GI tract and wreak havoc if it's consumed. Signs for concern included vomiting, diarrhea, decrease in appetite, lethargy, and stomach pain. They just can't keep anything down. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize that. Generally, when you buy that shiny grass, that's the plastic Easter grass. But now there's been an alternative for the last few years. And you can see it right there in the studio. See that that purple grass hanging out? That's paper. So if a cat or a dog eats it, it's paper. They're eating paper, not plastic. The shiny one is the plastic Easter grass. Okay. Okay. So it's much better to have. You'll see. You haven't realized this, but every time I make you an Easter basket, there's now paper in it. Oh. Because I don't want Hayden to. And also the shine attracts the cats and they want to play with it and chew it. Okay. So you were going to tell me you were going to talk about plants. Plants. So many plants can cause issues for pets. But during this time of the year, eliminate lilies. And bulbs that bloom in spring. Like tulips, for example. Like tulips. Those are bulb plants. Yep. Okay. That's right. You know all about this now because mm-hmm. of your new ventures. Lilies can cause serious concerns for our feline friends. Exposure to any parts of the plant can result in kidney injury and GI tract upsets. Bulb plants like tulips 
hyacinths, irises are all considered toxic to both dogs and cats and can cause vomiting, diarrhea, and drooling if ingested. All parts of these plants contain toxins and can cause issues for your pet, but the toxins are most concentrated in the bulb of the plant, making the bulb the most dangerous part. You know, you don't realize it, but these things are all important because a lot of people get plants, the tulips, and then they want to take them and put them in the ground. Yep. And they have to be careful that their dogs don't dig them up. And the same thing with lilies. Lilies are beautiful. I mean, we have some lilies. We have plastic lilies in the studio right now. And look how beautiful they look in the vase. They look right? they look beautiful. Right. These are but for the, your virtual tours, right. aren't they? I mean, they, they yeah. are. But the reason I, I brought them is to show them, too, because uh, if a cat sniffs any or choose up any part of the lily it has Thank renal you, the failure. odor in other words they can sniff it and that can be a problem right. and for the them pollen too. can come through absolutely the pollen or they chew any part and it they can go into renal failure okay anything else happy easter and that's all the flex facts for the week we love that dr fleck that's as always great reporting up next after the commercial break my i likey of the week dollar generals should be pleased <laughs> When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. As you know, the show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Let's kick off uh, segment number three with my I Like You of the Week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. I just love this story. Okay, so a canine thief. Yes, a doggy thief was rewarded after he continued to try and steal a purple unicorn from a Dollar General. The business in Kenansville, North Carolina, called Animal Control on Sisu, a large male stray dog, because of his repeated thievery. He constantly went into the store five or six times and he wanted this purple unicorn. So the Duplin County Animal Control officer who went to pick him up ended up buying Sisu this unicorn toy and the local animal control department posted pictures on social media on Monday of the dog cuddling with the coveted treasure that the animal control officer bought for him, which I thought was very, very generous. As a result of posting the pictures, the story went viral. And instead of being a notorious criminal, Susu and his unicorn became 
so popular he was quickly adopted in one day. So that's not surprising isn't that a at great, all. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> it's a great story. Okay, so now our next guest is on the phone. So every dog owner must have adequate insurance coverage for accidents that his dog might cause. The size, history, and temperament of the dog do not provide exceptions to this rule because even a small dog can leave a permanent scar on the face of a small child or injure an adult. So joining us today is Janet Ruiz, the Insurance Information Institute's, which is I, the Director of Strategic Communications. Ruiz joined I, bringing with her 25 years of experience in the insurance industry. Greetings, Janet, and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Hi, how are you? We're happy that you're here with us. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the first question. Janet, why should homeowners and renters who have dogs add animal liability policies to their existing policy? Or why should they try to get just a canine liability policy in general? It's so important to protect yourself and your assets and you are liable if your dog should bite or injure someone. So it's so important. Find out from your agent if your existing policy already covers it. If not, add a rider or a floater to make sure that you are covered. I think it's really important these days to make sure that um, we're covered, right? Very important, very important. Can you please walk us through a typical animal liability policy? So normally, uh, you would have this coverage under your homeowner's or your renter's policy, and uh, that will be an annual term, so you renew it every year, and it is really just one part of your coverage. So uh, when you pick your liability limit, uh, you're saying uh, $300,000, a million dollars, um, usually you pick an amount of liability that's going to protect your assets. So if you're a homeowner, you're trying to protect the cost of your home. Uh, and if you're um, a renter, maybe you don't have as many assets, you may have a $100,000 liability limit. Uh, so you're looking at what your assets are and what you want to protect. And we can talk about the... Uh, claims that we saw in 2020 and the amounts of money that got paid out. Uh, the average cost per claim actually went up in 2020 from 2019. It went from $44,700 up to $50,200 per average claim. So that was an increase of 12.3%. And when you think about that amount of money per claim, um, that's something you don't want to have come out of your own pocket. Wow. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Janet Ruiz, the Director of Strategic Communication for the Insurance Information Institute. And she just told us how much these claims pay out, which is a lot of money. So it's a good idea to have a claim. And just curious. Um, are pet owners responsible over a certain amount in some of these claims or no? So the pet owner would be responsible for possibly a deductible on their homeowners or renters policy. And generally speaking, people have about a $1,000 deductible. It's always important to pick a deductible that you can afford to pay out because, of course, these are unexpected events. 
so what we saw again in 2020 was an average cost of 50,200 per claim. That means somewhere much more than that and somewhere far less. And it's two things, it's dog bites, but it's also dog related injury. So oftentimes the dog may have just startled someone, they tripped, they broke their hip, uh, that's an expensive claim. Wow, I suppose we could go into what made that go up, but what you mentioned, you kind of led into my next question. Other than dog bites, what do what these claims pay off for what other kinds of injuries or what's involved? Or who's involved? So we see a number of different types of dog bite claims. Uh, it could be related injuries. You know, your um, dog startles an elderly person and they fall over and break their hip. Uh, this can be a very expensive claim. Or maybe you're walking across the bridge and um, it startles a cyclist who falls over on their bike. So all different types of claims. Uh, most are dog bites when a dog is startled and they nip at someone. Uh, the most costly, of course, are the terminal. And we see a few of those. Uh, but the other things are, you know, biting a child's face because children are curious and they get their face right in there in front of the dog. So all these different types of losses are included. Wow. I mean, you know, you don't think about that. The not the the not more than a dog bite, like the elderly person getting knocked over or something like that. You just don't think about those things. Simply being startled. Yeah. Being I mean, startled. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, and that can end up being so costly. So I'm curious, where are most of these uh, dog bite and related claims coming from? What states? Uh, California is still the state with the most claims. Um, I think it was 2,100 claims in California. And then it's California, New York, Florida, uh, those states, uh, higher populations, more people out and about. Uh, sometimes it's the better weather. Uh, Texas was also in the top five. I believe that. So what, what other state and local legislation do pet owners need to be aware of? Well, it's important to know um, what's expected in your state if there is a dog bite or a dog-related injury. And most states are similar in the fact that it is your responsibility. So you're liable uh, whether you're insured or not. And this is why I keep emphasizing renters need to be insured. Uh, because oftentimes renters feel like, oh, you know, I don't own this place. If anything happens, my landlord will cover it. Um, and that's not the case. Your belongings aren't covered, but your liability. And, you know, one of the most common liabilities people have is their pets and especially their dog. So don't hesitate to ask your insurance company or your insurance agent lots of questions. This is an important part of your life. Your dog is a part of your family, and we certainly want you both to be protected. I think we should leave that on that note. That was great. It was great. Yeah. Thank you, Janet, so much for joining us today. Right, yes. Dr. Oh, Flack? Yeah. Great information. Well, Thank you. That was Janet Ruiz. 
and she is with triple I that's I, I, I dot org. We hope homeowners and renters get their dogs and themselves covered. But up next, after the commercial break, we're going to talk about a new study that speaks about how dog breeds get osteosarcoma <laughs> and what that means in terms of canine welfare. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Well, I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to say it all the time. We're urban. Suburban. And, and country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. One of the great things about having a global pet news segment is you really learn about what's going on around the world. And one of the things that I have found from doing the show is really because I'm looking at stories all the time from around the world, I learned so much about how other people and dogs live. And, and one of the things that I, I've recently found out is almost every city in the world has to deal with not only street crime at night, but also roaming packs of dogs. So I read this really great article in the New York Times, and it was about civilians in the Afghan capital of Kabul. They live in constant fear, not only being killed in targeted attacks as the war with the Taliban and other extremist groups drag on, but at night there's a different war going on. And it's not only with thieves and stick up men, but it's these packs of stray dogs that stalk the streets. It seems these stray dogs roam the city and. Really, it's very stra a sad fixture for Kabul because they're snarling, they're snapping. God forbid you have food with you. They'll attack you. So by day, it seems that these animals rest, conserving their energy until twilight when, along with criminals, they command the streets. Most of the dogs look like a cross between a shepherd and a Labrador and are and very small in statute compared to the ones that are used for, for fighting, uh, as fighting dogs. And the strays live amongst pile of trash at the end of street alleys near restaurants where they can scavenge for food. But despite repeated efforts from the city's municipality to kill them uh, and the presence of just a few number of shelters, a lot of Afghani pet owners are, have empathy for the dogs as well as dog-friendly foreigners. They want to adopt them. So as a result, the animals thrive because people continue to feed them. Uh, now, there are rabies vaccinations that are given in Kabul. And it takes a huge chunk out of the public health 
ministry, it costs about $200,000 a year, which it's good that they, they spend that money to do that. But you even see in this article, p- local kids playing with the dogs. And the reason they play with them is they want it. They like the dogs, but they also don't want these dogs to attack them. So they give them names and they play in the street with them and they try to train them a little bit. And what I found really interesting is that it reminded me of India because India has, I think, you know, this has a lot of stray dogs, but in India, it's illegal to kill the dogs. And many of these countries who have these packs of stray dogs, they really are lacking funds for animal control departments. Um, They don't have spray and neuter programs. They don't have canine medical assistance. In India, compared to Pakistan, there's garbage in the street. In rural areas, many of these dogs kill wildlife. So there are some programs in India, but there are really not that many in Kabul. And really, the people who were adopting dogs out of Afghanistan are really American soldiers and Western contractors uh, and some Afghani nationals. But you see this is a growing problem around the world in a lot of these countries where there's lots of garbage in the street. And isn't it unique to know that in the United States, it's really rare to have a person get rabies? Mm-hmm. But we know that around the world, 60,000 people a year die from a rabies Infection, and especially in Africa. And well, think about this place, too. They're trying to vaccinate those that which is a great thing, feral dogs, which is a great right. thing. So our next guest, I've been told, is waiting on the phone. So we will bring our next guest on a study led by University of Bristol Veterinary School in collaboration with Cardiff University, that's Wales and Royal Veterinary College in London and using data from Vet Compass and Veterinary Pathology Group, VPG, histology, looked at the epidemiology surrounding which breed, which dog breeds get osteosarcoma and what this means for canine welfare. And joining us today to discuss this really very important study is veterinarian Dr. Grace Edmonds, Clinical Veterinary Research Fellow at Bristol Veterinary School. Dr. Edmonds, we are pleased to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. So I'm going to start out with a really basic first question, because I don't know, obviously, as much as the vets on at hand. So what is osteosarcoma? So osteosarcoma is um, is bone cancer, really, um, and it's a big problem in um, both dogs and cats and also humans. Um, so about three in a million adolescents will get osteosarcoma every year and about 81 in a million dogs. And that doesn't sound like that many. But the reason why this is a really big problem is because um, these tumors are very debilitating. They cause severe pain. Um, our treatment options haven't really changed in 30 years. And our survival rates are not brilliant. So um, there's much research that needs to be done to try and combat the effects that this has on the lives of our dogs. Wow. Really important to know about. I'm glad we're, I'm glad Dr. Edmonds is here with us. It's a devastating disease. Really. It's is. really sad. So share with our, our listening audience your recent study. Talk to us about it. Well, this is it's a super exciting study because it's massive. So it's a huge collaboration between um, the universities of Bristol and Cardiff in the UK and the Royal Veterinary College. And we had access to this fantastic database of 1700 osteosarcoma cases, which were biopsied at a lab in Bristol and about 900,000 control dogs. So that means healthy dogs. And this enabled us to statistically analyze um, which dog breeds and body shapes are the most at risk of osteosarcoma 
sarcoma so briefly if um, there are more of a certain breed in the cancer data set than in the healthy data set then the statistics can tell us whether that breed is more at risk okay so let's talk about the results of the study because i mean that's what that's what we need to know that's the meat that's the meat <laughs> for sure so um, so we found that 16 breeds were significantly at higher risk when compared to crossbreeds. And at the top of those were the Rottweiler, the Rhodesian Ridgeback and the Great Dane. And the kind of new finding there is the Ridgeback. We didn't know that before. Um, but also in our study design, we were able to look at which breeds are protected. And we found that eight breeds were at significantly less risk than crossbreeds. Um, and that was especially the French Bulldog, the Bichon and the Cavalier. Um, so the main difference between our study and previous ones is that ours was much bigger and this gave us greater statistical power to see these kind of intricate patterns in the data um, but also we had this huge database of healthy dogs to compare to and that was really novel. What, what did you all determine the, regarding the larger breeds versus smaller breeds? Because that, that's a great question because she just started talking about the differences. Right, right. Yeah, so we also looked at, um, at body size and body shape. So this was also quite new. Um, and overwhelmingly in the scientific community, we knew that larger dogs were at risk. We knew that anyway, and we kind of found that. So that was nice, that matched up. Um, but then we also found that um, those dogs with um, shorter skulls or shorter legs, so we used the kind of, um, you know, the pugs and the French bulldogs with the shorter skulls, and then we used the Daxi type breeds with the shorter legs, um, that they were less at risk. But I guess it's really important to say, and I know that many of your listeners will have a real grasp on this is that um, breeding for any extreme body shape is likely to carry health risks of its own. So although we've shown that breeding for extreme tallness and extreme largeness is likely to increase your risk of bone cancer, we don't want to swing too far the other way and breed for extreme smallness either because that can cause its own problems. We started to talk a little bit about in the beginning of the interview about the human comparison. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about how does your research compare to, to the research that humans that are suffering from osteoscarcoma. We found really, really similar things. So we know from human literature that those people with a larger body mass or longer legs at the time of puberty are more at risk of osteosarcoma. So that fits really well. And also the age distribution. So in dogs and in humans, this is a disease of kind of teenagers, like teenage aged dogs and humans, and then also older people. So there's what we call a bimodal distribution. We get two peaks. We get one in, in young people and, and dogs and one in older people and dogs um, and we that mirrored as well and then there's some genetic data um, not ours but from other studies which matches as well so they found similar genes which seem to put both humans and dogs at risk and um, surprise surprise those genes relate to skeletal growth and body size. I guess from the interview what can breeders as well as pet owners take away from this research? Well, I think it's important that nobody panics because, you know, the incidence of this disease is is relatively low. Um, we don't have exact numbers, but, you know, about 8.1 in 100,000 dogs. But the key message is that if you're the owner of an at-risk breed or body shape, so more than 40 kilos or the Rotties and Ridgebacks and Great Danes, that you just check your dogs over regularly, you know, for lumps and bumps on the legs or the head or the skull or any sudden lameness, just get them checked out by your vets. Great. Well, Dr. Edmonds, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to actually put some uh, graphics uh, from this interview up with Dr. Edmonds on our social media channels. Great. To see this interview in full, visit our social media channels or YouTube so you can watch a full version of this interview. Dr. Fleck, it's that time. It's that time to wrap the show. And we always have to, of course, thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier yeah. pets. For around the world, right? You're absolutely right. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you.
Take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.